right, well, the first quarter of the season is now gone. The Buffalo Bills are 1-3 to start the 2018 season. And hey, look at that. They return for a home game. A rarity in the 2018 schedule, at least in the beginning stages for them. They get the Tennessee Titans at home. The Titans, by the way, 3-1 to start the year. Somewhat of a surprise 3-1. And, and the Bills are coming off a game where... I, I, I didn't. I didn't say this. This might be a topic, but I don't know. Just thinking about it, what was worse, the Packers' loss or the Ravens' loss? I think the. Well, that's be a good question. Because the Packers' loss had Josh Allen in it, and right. the, the Ravens' loss, you'd be like, "Well, shutout. it was Peterman." Right. There was something to lean on, and I, I would say the Ravens, because even though the Ravens are off to a pretty good start. I don't think they're considered quite the team that the Packers are. Yeah. But I, they I might it, be a better team. Yeah, but... So... And I'm just thinking... Peterman it, was in for the whole first yeah, half. Yeah, it was so Josh you could, Allen. You could kind of pretend that, you know, there was something to look forward to. I right. think this one is causing more uh, discomfort. Pain, yes, <laughs> if you will. Because the rookie quarterback was in there. He looked quite bad. You hope as bad as he's going to look, but perhaps not. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, there's a lot of questions, a lot more questions, as opposed to after the Ravens game, you could say, well, that was really stupid to start Peterman, but now at least they've got Allen in there. After this game, still a lot of questions, not as many easy answers. Yeah, well, welcome into the Bills Beat, everyone. My name is Joe Biscaglia. You just heard the tones of Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, and uh, this is, it, it feels as though it's a week of reflection about where this whole thing is right now, where this thing is going. I mean, with due respect to the Titans game coming up, which we'll go into a little bit near the end of the podcast, and the individual matchups and some things you might see from the Bills, um, it seems like this is... Uh, it feels like it's more so time to take the temperature of things because, you know, they are a quarter into the season, which is... Uh, to make it pretty, 25% of the way in. I mean, they they can come to some conclusions off of what they've seen through four games because it does represent a, a solid chunk of the actual season. And in what they're trying to do is trying to figure out which of these guys can play, who can't, who should be on the field who they should give a little bit more time to, and everything along those lines. So that's why if you're kind of feeling a little bit out on the season already, I think if you're interested in you know roster stuff and roster building and, and um, younger guys getting a chance or lesser knowns getting a chance, this, this, is a, this is a season right up your alley because I think we are on the precipice of that happening. So... Coming on, coming after what Sean McDermott said on Wednesday, which a couple of stark things that, that definitely stood out. Um, he was ticked off, as, as agitated as I've seen him on Monday, about the offense and, and was actually throwing a little bit of fire around, which he doesn't normally do. And then on Wednesday, when right after waxing poetic about how Zay Jones was working his butt off and you know, working hard back to the ball and everything like that. When he was asked about Calvin Benjamin, he was like, at times, not all the time. And that's kind of the genesis of where I want to pick this thing up because I know 
we've we've brought up the name Kelvin Benjamin a time or two on this podcast. He he might just be the second most named Bills player on the 2018 roster besides Josh Allen this year, which would put him probably third most mentioned behind Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> Who is on the Titans? You could have. <laughs> you could have waited until the end of the podcast. But here we are, four now minutes in. Now people are going to turn it off. Oh, I, I believe people only loud. listen to find out when he will be mentioned. And oh. I've, I've ruined it. Now I, nobody's going to hear anything I, else we have to say. I know. There's only one thing you can do in we're this actually situation. Gonna, we're probably going to end up bringing him up more than once, I think today well there's only he's relevant there's kind of there's only one as relevant as blaine gabbert can be the only thing you can do do you have a blaine gabbert jersey i don't i never got one no (laughs) that might be something to look into down the line here on the bills beat all right so i wonder what those go for yeah probably not much probably not it's not even like a a fun draft bust no no and he's still still playing in the league boiling around So we'll start it off with Kelvin Benjamin because I think he's kind of a uh, a lightning rod here for fans because fans are not happy with what he has done so far, and nor should they be. I mean, you can see it week in and week out, the effort that some of the other receivers are putting in and the effort you would think are, is normal of a starting player, not even in terms of running routes. I mean, he, he runs his route, but... It's the stuff after. It's the stuff when it's not a passing play. He doesn't run block. He doesn't block for screens. Or he does so half-heartedly. Uh, he doesn't work back to the ball. He's not gaining separation. He's he's not doing anything to stand out in a good way. Only bad ways. And when Sean McDermott, and we'll get into this quote a little bit uh, later, echoes the sentiments of saying, you know, he values culture over strategy in terms of roster building, cutting dead weight, everything like that. If that is indeed how he feels, I don't know how much longer they can, they can sit there and say to themselves, well, Kelvin's not giving an honest effort. How long, how more, how much more can we be willing to put him out there when we're trying to build a team full of uh, younger players that we're trying to bring along and, and figure out if any of them can play. Is this guy setting the wrong example? Which is why I wonder if this might be the week that the Bills send a statement to the roster saying no guy is safe. No guy, just because of perceived talent, is locked into the starting lineup and making an example out of Kelvin Benjamin, which I think it... He's, he's really done nothing. His only catch came on a play where it was a busted coverage and the cornerback was trying to pass him off to a safety that didn't exist. That's it. He's got seven catches on the year. Under 100 yards on the year. I mean, man. If there's, if there's one to set the example, to send the message, it's that guy right there. Certainly, and I think... The only hesitation you would have with benching him is if you want to have any hope of trading him, benching him might be, you know, a way to drive down his value. And I guess you think if you keep him on the field, you have a shot to boost his value in some way or his perceived value in some way. But the more he goes out there and plays the way he's playing, the more he hurts himself and the Bills in that regard, because 
I don't know who would want him. And maybe benching him sends the loudest message possible that he is available. But I think we've seen already that his snaps have declined when they do take, you know, when they do want to get Robert Foster on the field, it's usually Benjamin who comes off. Even Andre Holmes gets out there in one wide receiver set sometimes, probably because of his blocking. Zay Jones has been leading the way in snaps at that position. Oh, yeah, so by quite a bit, by 18%. Really, think. you're talking about a guy that Zay Jones is your number one wide receiver if you're looking at snaps and even yardage. I mean, he's the guy that's getting the most run, and a lot of his you know target share and whatnot is coming at the end of games, and he's certainly not playing like a number one wide receiver. But it's trending towards Kelvin Benjamin just being a – you know, a part-time player Mm -hmm. and maybe he starts, maybe he doesn't, but I think that's a guy that you need to look, take a long, hard look at and say, you know, is this a guy that we want here long-term? And if not, why not get whatever you can get for him? Because you've done it before. And this is where I think things get tricky when you, you know, make, statements like Sean McDermott made this week when he said culture trumps strategy. Well, if that's the case, what's Kelvin Benjamin doing here? Yeah, right. You know, we can argue the merits of culture over strategy all day long, and, you know, we may get around to that on this podcast, but I think more so than anything, to me at least, the problem with that is You've got Kelvin Benjamin not really fitting into that culture. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, Vontae Davis retiring at halftime. Zay Jones has an offseason arrest. LaShawn McCoy has been accused of more nasty things this week. Delisha Corden has accused him of physical abuse against her and his dog. He's already been accused of physical abuse against his son. Again, these are just accusations. Nothing, you know, has stuck to this point. But he's not cooperating with the police, and it's just a dark cloud over him. And he's a captain of this team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the culture over strategy thing is really convenient because you can't really define culture. You can't quantify it. You can't measure it in any way. And so you can just define it as whatever you want to define it as. And then... There's no real accountability there, I feel like, because Sammy Watkins evidently didn't fit the culture. I mean, you know, Reggie Ragland didn't fit the culture. Ronald Darby didn't fit the culture. These are guys that are making contributions on other teams. Marcel Darius didn't fit the culture. That one, there's an explanation behind it. He did some things to earn that. Yeah. But a lot of these trades, I don't know that that explanation really holds weight. And then you have guys on the roster like Kelvin Benjamin. So if you really want to send a message more so than just in a press conference, then you would either get rid of that guy or limit his snaps even more than you have because you've got guys retiring at halftime. You've got, you know, Kelvin Benjamin not giving full effort. You've got other guys involved with off the field issues. So put, you know, some weight behind those words and and do something. Which is why I would not be shocked if Kelvin Benjamin is inactive this week. I don't I don't know if they have the stones to do it, but at the very least, limit his snaps more than they have been. I mean, heck, 
you want to send a message? Have Andre Holmes play over him because everybody knows Kelvin Benjamin is more talented than Andre Holmes. But Andre Holmes gives a rip. He tries really hard. He's not he's not great. I mean, he caught a pretty blatant uh, pass for a first down. Or he, he dropped it along the sidelines in Green Bay. That would have kept a drive going. But, you know, he's he gives his all every single day, every single game. You see it in run blocking, everything along those lines. Andre Holmes brings that. And for them to potentially bench Benjamin for a guy like that would be as big of a statement as you can get because that's going to send waves throughout the wide receiver room, throughout the rest of the offense, saying, this guy was a first-round pick. This guy caught the game-winning throw from Jameis Winston for FSU to win the national championship. He was Cam Newton's number one receiver for years. And he just got benched on a team that's one and three. So I would not I, I would not put it out of the realm of possibilities of Kelvin Benjamin being inactive this week. And I think it would be a really strong statement. And heck, I mean, he's not a part of the future anyway, so who cares? Because while I don't know, I guess you run the risk of alienating someone like LaShawn McCoy, but he's not a part of the future either. So what what is it to you to continue to trot Kelvin Benjamin out there in the hopes that you find a day that he actually cares, like he did in the first preseason game against the Carolina Panthers, where he actually worked his tail off to get get to the ball and, and make an impact, and that was in a game that ultimately doesn't count. So why wouldn't you give as much as you can to Zay Jones slash Andre Holmes slash Robert Foster slash Ray Ray McLeod? I mean... The incentive to keeping Benjamin out there and continuing to set a poor example is not all that great, in my opinion. So I know, as we said last week, or on Sunday, I should say, we've kind of piled on Kelvin Benjamin as the season has begun, but there is a reason for that. He has been one of the worst players on the field for the Bills, and that's saying something considering the uh, considering the fact that he is probably one of the most talented offensive players they have yeah and he's not super talented no he's not he's not. <laughs> but he is one of the most talented players that they have do you remember leading up to the panthers game last year you and i got in a debate about whether or not kelvin benjamin is good and you know well you were making the broader point about all of the panthers receivers and they all at the time had a lot of kelvin benjamin types yeah you know with funchess yeah uh, funchess really came through he's starting and, to look a lot, a lot speedier now and so you know there was some upside, I think, in that room, and they had a type as receivers. And Benjamin, he's good when you can use him right. And I, this is another, a bigger issue with the Bills. And I thought we would see more of Kelvin Benjamin in the slot, but he hasn't done hardly any damage. I mean, he hasn't done any damage at all from anywhere on the field, but he hasn't done much damage out of the slot. They had this problem last year, different coordinator, but... Jordan Matthews is a guy who can make plays out of the slot, and they didn't put him there. Zay Jones, coming out of college, was a guy that makes plays out of the slot. However, with Zay Jones, they have been using him in the slot, and he has not been winning his routes. He doesn't win anywhere right now. He's, and, he wins more on the outside than he does on the and inside. And that's a huge problem, I think, for him. And that's another guy 
I get that he's working hard and he's really smart and those things are great, but you got to give him the benefit. You of the work doubt hard this year. and you're relatively smart. I wouldn't throw you out there on the boundary. No I'm, offense. I'm, I'm kind of tall. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it couldn't be worse. <laughs> I, I mean, you couldn't be that much worse than the way these these wide receivers are the worst in the league. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's true. I I think finding a creative way to use Kelvin Benjamin. That's why he might have some trade value. I wouldn't be surprised if he went somewhere and produced, if he was motivated and used properly. Because he, I, while I would would hesitate to say he's super talented, he does have unique traits. You know, his height and uh, size and his length are unique. But he, as his career has gone on, hasn't used them as aggressively. And I think his mentality is a big problem. Would would you get more out of him if you bench him and then, you know, gave him another shot? Maybe. I don't know. But it's just I don't know that he cares. That's the thing. Like you as, don't know what's going should. on up he there. He probably wants what? Somewhere between ten and fourteen million a year this offseason. Is he trying to get traded? That's but another thing I've he, thought about. <laughs> he doesn't play like he's motivated to get a new contract. No. And he should have seen what happened in his own locker room with Jordan Matthews, who had no value mm-hmm. after having a terrible season with the Bills and ending up on IR. So there should be some motivation there. He hasn't had great quarterback play here, but he hasn't done a lot to help out. He drops passes. He doesn't get a tremendous amount of targets because he's not getting open and commanding those targets. And when Josh Allen throws him the ball, what reason does he have to trust him? Because a lot of times it's hitting the ground on catchable passes. so Or catchable passes for him. Because right. he doesn't get separation, but his shtick is that he can win contested catches, but he hasn't done that. I have another question about him. Is there potential that he's just washed? Like is It could be. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's injuries. had knee injuries. He wasn't super quick to begin with. And... I think that could affect effort, too, because he wasn't necessarily always a guy that loafed. Uh, I think there was some pep to him early in his career. Obviously, didn't watch every single snap he took the way we do now, but that's something that could probably wear on you, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you're constantly sore or battling this or that. You know, we've talked in the offseason about he, he almost runs like he's hurt all the time which is kind of his natural running style, but it's also a question of how much the injuries have kind of accumulated and started to wear him down. I mean, to have that big of a body running routes, you know, that often, I don't think you hold up quite as well as other guys would. So that's a fair question too. And the Bills have to answer some of these questions, you know, in the next month if they're going to try to unload this guy or, you know, figure out what to do going forward, because on one hand, you probably say, well, he's, he's a guy that you kind of, you know, if you don't have him, what does your rookie quarterback have to deal with? Right. But then on the flip side, you say, well, what exactly is he getting out of him right now? And it's a whole lot of nothing. So it's a fair question. And, I'll be interested to see what happens with him this weekend. And we're, we're through a month of the season. You know, early on when we were piling on him, I thought he's going to make us eat crow yeah, with a breakout game. Sunday. And now I'm thinking that's probably not going to happen yeah. because 
I just don't see it. We're through a month of the season. If it were going to happen, he's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're throwing the ball a lot. They've been down in games even. He could be getting garbage time yards, and he has that one touchdown in garbage he's, time. But but he's not even out there during garbage time anymore. Because why would they want him out there? Right. You know, you, why would you want a guy that probably doesn't have a future here right. and who doesn't, you know, give you everything he has for four full quarters to be out there with young players developing you just wouldn't. So, I don't know. That's one of those that's kind of a, a strike against this regime, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, because you gave up a third-round pick for him. Yep, sure You did. know, I don't think you really got much in return. You didn't – you're making the playoffs with or without him last year. They I basically think. made it without him. Right. And so – He was hurt a, quite a bit of time. And his – you know, he had a good game against the Patriots, but they lost that game. So Had the touchdown against the Colts. Yeah, so I yeah. guess, you know, you could argue maybe they don't make it if he doesn't right. make Sure. Yeah. So w- is it worth it? No, not really because they got smashed in the playoffs anyways. So, well, not smashed, but they didn't do anything on offense in the playoffs. So, um, you know, the defense held up its end of the bargain, but Kelvin Benjamin didn't exactly get you over the hump. Mm-mm. And one and out in the playoffs isn't really a solid return for a third-round pick for a team that was – steadfast on collecting assets and they made an impulsive decision on trade deadline day That's i think exactly so what happened. and didn't get a guy that was really worth it and so that's one strike against this regime and the strikes are starting to pile up a little bit honestly i think that's the biggest strike against brandon bean so far because it's been just a just a complete blow up on on him because calvin benjamin just has not lived up to that side of things and you know I, I guess you can also look into uh who the panthers took with that pick or what have you but i mean still that's assets that you could have used an asset you could have used elsewhere you could have drafted a young wide receiver in the third round you could have drafted a young offensive lineman or maybe a young running back so that way you don't have to depend on a, on a league of 30 year old running backs so it's just all it all bleeds into the same point where all right we're now getting to the time which is I think what you're trying to creep up on where it is starting to be okay to judge their moves because As our old friend Richie Incognito would say it's almost nut cutting time <laughs> for these guys <laughs> Do you think Richie listens? I doubt it. But if he does Wow. Give us a call sometime, Richie. We'd <laughs> love to have you on. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I could call you a hipster. It'll, it'll be great. <laughs> um, yeah, this is uh, – we're starting to get to, get to the portion where and, – and I guess where the the early trades in, in August and everything along those lines, that those can be judged. I think the Sammy Watkins one I'm still okay with just because I don't think there was any – possible way he was going to resign in Buffalo and I think they knew that but they also made the decision before Brandon got there to not have the 50-year option on him which really put them in a vice because that was probably the more reckless decision and yes because they were worried about his injuries but that they were I know that's the simple fact but it doesn't that I don't I really don't think that argument holds a lot of water and I know Me it's, neither. I, know I wouldn't have why, done the same as them. I know it's why they did it, but you know, 
And this is where we get into, and we knew this would happen because, you know, it wasn't always going to be clear sailing for these guys. Eventually, it's judgment time, and mm -hmm. I think it's almost to the point where it's just continuous, you know, judgment time. And when you have that overlap, I still have people who want to give Doug Whaley credit for the 2017 draft <laughs> or assign blame for moves that happened or credit him with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and oh, yeah, yeah, things yeah. like this. Well, Doug did take credit for all of it, to be to He be did, fair. his parting gifts. Um, but the Sammy Watkins thing, you're out of your mind if you think that wasn't 100% McDermott because – that would have been an admission of You're talking about the failure. decision to the not decision to, fifth year option him. Yes. Yeah, not yeah. give him the fifth year option. And I think that forced Brandon Bean's hand when he came in here. Totally right. Because I, he was not going to resign and you relinquished your fifth year option, your control over him. You could have franchised him, but look, after that fifth year option, which is now, this is his fifth year in the league, mm -hmm. you would still have him and you would have the option of a franchise tag if he became a breakout player. That's the thing about oh, he was never going to resign. Well, the Oops. franchise tag is a yeah. thing, and th he doesn't really have an option. And I don't think he was so disgruntled to the point where he would have held out on the franchise tag, especially with his injuries. He wouldn't have had a lot of bargaining power. I so, don't think that Brandon Bean would have made the same decision as Sean McDermott. I think it was an, I think it was a reckless and irresponsible decision in terms of how you manage your roster and take advantage of your assets. Yeah. That's a number four overall pick. A guy who flashed serious potential. You could argue still hasn't quite lived up to it. Mm -hmm. But to throw the fifth-year option away, that happens to guys of much lesser talent than Sammy Watkins. You know, guys who don't get their fifth-year option picked up, you have to be fairly bad. And I don't think anybody would say Sammy Watkins was bad despite all his injuries. And so, I mean, you start there, and the decisions you know, that kind of, it, it created a chain reaction where you have to trade Sammy Watkins if you want to get anything for him. You know, if you're worried about his injuries or whatever else or how he fits in. Trading Ronald Darby is another one because I have an issue with trading guys that are on their rookie contracts who have proven that they can be players. And that's how you end up in a spot where they are now. Yeah. Where you don't have guys on young, you know, rookie contracts making contributions for you because you got rid of all of them. I do think there's a part of the Darby move that... That, uh, that was a, that another a culture. culture one. A he culture. didn't fit in. I, well, I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily go out on a limb for for a guy who has gone out of his way to support Jameis Winston time and, and time and again. And he was a guy that I think didn't fit into the way that you know he was being coached and everything else that was happening here. Yeah. Um, didn't fit into the defense as well as they would have wanted him to, so... I mean, I he's he's talented and he's showing that he he still has ability in Philadelphia and he's also playing in a more zone based scheme there. It's just he's a good player. If he didn't fit, he didn't fit. But yeah. he's also a guy that was young, rising on a cheap contract. Mm -hmm. Reggie Ragland's another one. You didn't get much for him, no. and that's a young, cheap linebacker, a position that they need depth at, quite frankly. And you know. I know he didn't fit perfectly, but again, young, cheap guy on a rookie deal. So you make all those decisions, and then you're sitting here, and here's where I guess I have the biggest gripe is that, you know, the culture over strategy, whatever, it, th if that 
shocked you, then you haven't been paying attention to Sean McDermott, quite frankly, because he's in a roundabout way said that mm-hmm. in many ways yeah, with his actions totally. and his words. That was just a, a probably the first admission of it. But he keeps going back to this is early in year two, you know, early in this build building process. And early in year two isn't that early in the NFL. Yeah. The last two coaches were here for two years. Well, they went they went balls to the wall last year to get into the playoffs because I don't even think they expected to be as to the point in which where they were around the trade deadline, they were five and two. I don't think they expected to have that record at that point with the roster that they had. Maybe Sean McDermott fooled himself into thinking that they could, but still, I don't think the rest of the organization felt like that. And, uh, and from that point forward, they were doing everything they could to get into the playoffs to take that line of thinking, the drought, take it out of the equation for good. And so, and that bought them a lot of time. Oh, it bought and them so much time. That is the dangerous part about yeah. this, in my opinion, because you know you look at the decisions they made that first off season. You, we talked about Sammy Watkins Ty, bringing back Tyrod Taylor was another one. Yeah, where you forced your hand in terms of having to get rid of him the following off season. He's got a seven point six dead cap right now. That you know all these dead cap numbers. The thirteen for Darius the 9.6 for Cordy Glenn, the 7.6 for Tyrod Taylor, you know, those were decisions. To clean up the cap, sure, but Cordy Glenn is a quality player. You have offensive line problems right now. You know, uh, Tyrod Taylor, you made that decision to bring him back when you had an out on the contract. And so some of these decisions were made by McDermott. Some of them were made by McDermott and Bean together. A few of the troubling ones, I think, were made by McDermott, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, before they had a general manager. And you know, some of these were out of their control, right? Eric Wood, the $10 million dead cap, he, you know, that was, they they did sign that contract, but that was a tough spot, you know, just because of the unfortunate injury. Corey Coleman, $3 million in dead cap. A.J. McCarron, two this year, and I think two next year. Uh, Reggie Ragland is still counting on the dead cap. So Jeremy Curley is almost a million on the dead cap. For what it's worth, uh, you're, you're going down all these, and for good reason. Cordy Glenn is probably the thing that helped put them over the edge in order to get in order them Josh to get Allen. their quarterback yeah. now and also with the fact that even though he's a quality player I have it on multiple people that, that have said that he he just didn't really put forth as much effort as he used to so take that and I don't know that he's gonna reach the level he was at yeah before those injuries. But all these decisions were, you know, kind of conscious decisions. And yeah. they were and here's the other thing, you when you do what you do, because they talk about it being a, a full teardown, but they did make that push last year. And maybe this would have been an easier process if it had started last year. Because then you probably don't need to trade as many of those picks and those guys mm-hmm. to move up and get mm-hmm. your quarterback. Yeah, that's absolutely the right. other argument which we won't hammer into oblivion because i think you know people have heard it enough but the patrick mahomes thing you didn't have a gm at the draft so yeah. you don't pick patrick mahomes yeah, that's on you and like, you or deshaun watson you could have matter. hired brandon bean well before the draft it could have happened and that's sean an ownership Mc- move sean mcdermott was hired in january 
And they kept Doug Whaley for some insane reason from January through April under the guise of saying, well, you know, they put in all the work all year in scouting and everything, and you don't want to upend your, your front office in that way. Baloney. I mean, who who cares? I mean, you just fired Rex Ryan. You moved on. You have a new head coach who's basically going to be the czar over the next few few year, few months. Why would you not just cut bait right then and there? And and you had the number 10 pick, a top 10 pick yeah. which put you in striking distance in the perfect spot in a quarterback class and man, that looks pretty decent. Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson. I'll tell you what, if Tredavious White hasn't looked as good as he has for this Bills team, this would be a much bigger topic of I mean, wouldn't you, you would trade Tredavious White and Josh Allen for Patrick Mahomes right now in a heartbeat, would oh, you not? I mean, I was all in on Mahomes. I mean, I mean even especially knowing what we know. Yeah, and all in on Mahomes. And again, we're not going to belabor the point too much. I understand that Mahomes got put into an ideal situation yeah. and, and things worked out yeah. very well. But that's a talent. That's a, a And the thing I can't get past with it that at the time even struck me as odd, Andy Reid is Sean McDermott's mentor. <laughs> and if my mentor, who were an expert on the other side of the ball, were calling me to move up for the most important position in sports, arguably – that might have given me some pause, you know, like, oh, Andy loves this quarterback. What am I missing? Right. Or were you just totally blind to the quarterbacks because you were going to wait no matter what? And then you paint yourself into a corner where you have to give up all these picks to go get Josh Allen. And now Josh Allen is in an offense where he's surrounded by not a lot of talent because of your own doing. I just had a light bulb go off in my head. Sean McDermott pulled the reverse Buddy Nix. Yes. Buddy Nix was hellbent. Everyone knew in 2013 they were taking a quarterback in the first round, even though there wasn't a first-round quarterback on the board. They knew. Sean McDermott knew in his mind that he wasn't going to take a quarterback because he didn't have the GM in place because he wanted to make that decision with that GM. So again, that goes on ownership. That goes on Sean for not forcing the issue more to try and get Whaley out. It goes on. Quite frankly, it definitely goes on ownership because. You know, I think part of the reason that Doug Whaley hung around as long as he did was because he was tight with Terry Pagula. Right. And and quite frankly, it's kind of a – you're playing scared. You know, I, I don't want to lay it on too thick, but you don't trust yourself to pick a quarterback? You know, Sean McDermott, by all accounts, was heavily involved in this process. I, You know what? I'm not – Of getting Josh Allen. Were you scared that you'd get it wrong? I think you needed a GM there. I think I would rather not have Sean McDermott pick the quarterback because sure, I think I think he's probably a lot more suited for. But defense. you know what would be funny, and it would be really funny to know just who Doug Whaley who wanted. Doug Whaley wanted <laughs> because Doug Whaley never really had a shot. He was in on the EJ pick, but I, like you said, Buddy Nix kind of telegraphed that and forced pick one of these quarterbacks. By the way, all of them sucked. EJ sucked worse than others. But. I will never in my life put EJ Manuel on Doug Whaley. I will not. I refuse not to. Not 100%. Because no, it was I, a I terrible quarterback I won't class, at all. He played, and Buddy Nix forced them to pick a quarterback. Yes. He, so, and Doug Whaley, down the stretch, when he was asked about it, played good soldier the whole time to, to save face and to you know keep everybody in the organization happy and, and everything along those lines. And, you know, that, that was one of... 
the rare times where I'm not going to sit here and, and just absolutely bury what Whaley did because I don't... Whaley, for everything that he was and everything that he wasn't, he could at least evaluate. That's something he could do. And I am willing to bet that if Whaley was in charge of that 2017 draft, that Deshaun Watson would yeah, be the quarterback of the Buffalo guess. Bills right, right now. And I think... You know, there were rumblings about him liking Watson. and that's, Oh, he fit he fit the Whaley profile perfectly. And Everything that made, he valued. And that's what made that a weird draft to cover because there were a lot of whispers. And, you know, when you're covering the draft, you, there's misinformation out there. But there were so many whispers about what the Bills might like. But you knew that could just be Doug Whaley and uh-huh. his staff. And it doesn't matter what they like. Because they talk and, more than right, Sean McDermott right. does. And, and they, <laughs> they, you know, so that's why the, some of that can be held true. Go back to that draft, though, which was a McDermott draft. Tredavious White, home run pick. Zay Jones, looking like a miss. Alvin Kamara was on the board. Oh, you can play these games a lot. Yeah. But here's the thing. When you look at, oh, look at what Patrick Mahomes has that Josh Allen doesn't. People point to Kareem Hunt. He was sit, He was in that draft. When they moved up, they've moved up a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're a, a group that likes to collect assets, but they're moving up. Mm-hmm. They moved up for Tremaine Edmonds when they could have stayed put and taken one of the offensive linemen. They moved up for Zay Jones when they could have stayed put and gotten Alvin Kamara or Kareem Hunt or what have you. Name your player. The more shots you have at it, especially in those first three rounds, the better chance you're going to hit on some picks. And they were forced to give up a lot of top three round picks mm-hmm. to get the quarterback and it all kind of ties in and and it's all and then gave up more to to get their middle linebacker which it's looking like he's trending to be a really good player just the signs that he shows but still I mean you are basically you basically siphoned your entire 2018 draft that you worked so hard to accrue all those picks for two guys now you, you ended up with Harrison Phillips he looks like he's going to be a solid rotational player at the very least Taron Johnson looks like he's going to be pretty good, and then uh, and then past that, it's kind of a toss up in the air. I mean, yeah, they've Saran made some good picks yeah, here and yeah. added some talent. They've also missed. Yes, and I think that's where it's funny to start to hear the, you know, last year it was five and four isn't good enough, and this year it's we're early in year two. Uh huh. And we were talking before the podcast. We went through basically you know the entire league and tried to think of examples of guys who got. You know, we're assuming they get four years, yes. counting last year. Who's gotten that and done well with it? And the best example we came up with was Jim Schwartz. <laughs> How about that in a roundabout, roundabout way? And his his fifth year, he got fired. He made the playoffs in his fourth year. Well, the name you kept bringing up is the one that should be especially um, fear-inducing for fans. Because here's the thing. When people, when people like us or anybody else starts to question what these guys are doing, there's a lot of people who say you just need to trust it. Wait until they have that 90 million in cap space. Wait yeah. until they have all those picks. Which is definitely Which is a part true. of the equation. You cannot yeah. judge them until that happens. 100% agree because with that. Because they are taking their medicine this and, year, and that needs to be. And that factor. is part of their plan. Yeah. But the flip side of that is, and people will laugh because, you know, of course I'm bringing this up, but Gus Bradley. <laughs> And the Jacksonville Jaguars did almost the exact same thing. 
They tore the roster down to the studs. A lot of it had to do with Gene Smith's draft picks being terrible. And they did the rebuild the old-fashioned way where— and a lot of the same cliches that Sean McDermott uses, Gus Bradley used, you know, uh, you know, not in so many words, but the process was a big part of it. And the fact that, you know, they just need to get better every week. Get better was the big thing. You know, did you get better today? And the wins will take care of themselves. The scoreboard will take care of itself. Well, four years later, Gus Bradley had never had more than five wins in a season and he was fired. And that turnaround was abrupt. Mm-hmm. because they had had a lot of high draft picks and they were getting poor coaching and they went and spent aggressively in free agency and got these guys that came in and turned that team around pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And they sat there for four years, you know, with the likes of Blaine Gabbert and, you know, other guys playing quarterback for them. You can waste a lot of time in the NFL if you go about a rebuild that way and it doesn't work. If you don't have the right guy in charge and if you don't have the right quarterback, the Jaguars had neither. You could argue they still don't if you don't like Doug Marone and Blake Bortles. Fact of the matter is they were in the AFC title game last year and they look like they're going to be back in the playoffs this year. So small tweaks at those spots can make a huge difference and so can accumulating talent and building a roster which Tearing it down is so easy. Oh, yeah. You and I could tear a roster down the way we have. I would have. love that to tear a roster down. That is the easiest thing in the world. I, like anybody can do that. That was my favorite thing to You're, do on video games right, growing up. Breaking things is easy. <laughs> Putting them back together is hard. And I understand psychologically as a fan, if you want to say, hey, I just want to trust these guys to do mm-hmm. it. And they did make the playoffs and last that- year with a shorthanded roster. So there's reason to have some faith. And it is totally your right to do so. I also understand the people who say, gee, I don't know about how they're doing this. Right. When I see Sean McVay turn things around real quick, Doug Peterson turn things around real quick. I mean, even some of Sean McDermott's mentors, Ron Rivera, turn things around pretty quick. So if the results, the results won't be there this year. If they're not there next year, you have to start asking questions. Do they only get three years if right. it's... I, I think they'll end up getting the fourth. I do too. But it's it's one of those things where, as as I said, you know, Richie Richie Incognito would say this is it's about to be nut cutting time. I think I think this regime will end up getting right to around uh, where the lease is starting to really be talked about in the in the stadium and and when that all heats up because obviously if that's if the team's not in order by the time where it starts to really heat up in that respect, then the Pakulas are going to want to have something in place, especially if they're building a new facility to where fans are excited about it and not trotting out the same old song and dance. Well, so by that jo- point, you're going to know Allen, about Josh Yeah, Allen. Josh Allen would have had to have hit it by that point. So, and that's what's going to get them yeah, fired or not, yeah, is if he looks good. It's, it, it is too early to judge because... And in terms of a broad sense, because they still have a lot of draft picks coming up in 2018. They're probably going to be really high draft picks. Remember, they hung on to all of their futures. Um, so Which was big. The, that was the one yeah. win, I think, of that you know, fire sale of picks. I, yes. You know, and as excited as you get to get a Tremaine Edmonds, you cringe at giving up high picks. But yeah. the fact that they didn't give up any this year is definitely, and is definitely a good thing. And the... The other thing about it is, if you're Terry Pagula, 
Terry and Kimpagula, and you let them come in here and break things and tear things down. And let's face it, they, it's not like they broke a you know yeah something nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't exactly a roster that yeah, was, in it was great. Pretty, shape. It was pretty disjointed. There were some bad contracts that they had to clean out. If you're gonna let them do that, you owe them the uh, the chance to build it back yeah, up. Yeah, right, exactly, which is why they've got the 10 draft picks, they've got the 90 million in cap space, which could end up being more than that based on some Funny contracts. Thing about that cap space is though you need still need to convince guys to come play. For oh, you. for sure, you absolutely do, but it's also knowing you have the ability to re-sign your own too when when that uh, well, they don't really have many of those um, coming into it, but this is the year I think they can really go crazy in free agency because I do still think they value the compensatory formula quite highly. The trouble is they really don't have many guys that are going to qualify no. for that in, in this upcoming off season, which mean they will have no reservations for trying to go after whoever the heck they want. It all depends on who's out there, who, who comes up, what the situations are, everything along those lines. And then, like you said, convincing guys to come here because, you know, that's that's part of it too. But I think that's where Sean McDermott's going to try to be the, the leader of that. And, you know, they're going to need to see signs from Josh Allen over the last eight weeks of the season to show uh, free agents that, hey, this is a team on the up. And the defense... Especially wide receivers. Right. And I bring that up because we you know, use the Jacksonville parallel, they had a lot of problems with that yeah. until they just started overpaying guys, which is basically what you have to do in free agency, especially to convince them to come to a down-and-out team. And, and you know, the defense has to continue to show signs of improvement. So I know this has been like a, a big-picture episode, and it started with Kelvin Benjamin, but... But it's it, a fairly dull yeah. Titans, Bills. Yeah. You know, yeah, those are right. a couple of... Uh, well, we're you know, we're gonna on. we're gonna pick that game, but before we do, let's get into what we're working on really quick. So, what's new at the Athletic with you, Matthew? Yeah, obviously, hockey season is beginning tonight in Buffalo. So we've got great team of guys over there covering hockey: John Vogel, Joe Yurden, Ryan Stimson, uh, among them, Chris Baker handling the prospect stuff. So I encourage everybody to check out everything that they're doing. They've been uh, putting out tons of content this week. Um, you know, Tim and I are both on Bill's duty for now. Uh, Tim's probably going to be dabbling in some hockey as well, which if you're old enough to remember Tim Graham as the hockey writer, you know, he's pretty darn good at that too. So, uh, he'll have some fun over there. I'm working on a few stories this week. Uh, we'll see what, what comes of it. Tim and I are going to have a little, another little back and forth, uh, debate style post that should be out, uh, by the end of the week. And I'll of course be previewing, this game and and probably getting into uh, a little bit deeper some of the topics we've discussed here you can still get 40 percent off a year subscription comes out to about 2.99 a month if you go to the athletic.com slash bills beat then uh, you get in the door at 40 percent off good time to do so with hockey season starting up and coverage of every nhl team um, so yeah the athletic.com slash bills beat gets you in the door and over at WKBW.com, if you haven't yet, please go check out uh, the All-22 review that I, that I did for the Packers game. And I know it's, it's not a game you certainly want to relive, but I think the good part about it is that you get a chance to see, all right, who are some, some of the guys that maybe stood out. And I think one, one tweak that I've done to that column this year that I've, yeah, I feel like has really kind of upped it a little bit is that I give you my broader takeaways about where things need to 
happen next. And, you know, that's where I bring up stuff like Kelvin Benjamin, what to do at wide receiver, a concerning thing with Josh Allen, uh, what to do at cornerback. So, and um, even, you know, a pretty detailed look at why, why Kyle Williams isn't the same guy anymore, which is something that a lot of fans don't want to talk about or, or hear. But, I mean, that's it's, it's a thing that's happening. So that's all over at WKPW.com right now. Okay, Bills versus Titans. We're running out of, out of time because practice is about to wrap up. So Bills versus Titans. Titans are 3-1. and one. The Bills are 1-3. and three. The Titans kind of a lucky three and one. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're an ugly three and one. They play good run it. defense. They're uh, Corey Davis had the best game of his career so far. The the top five pick for the Titans wide receiver. Um, so, in terms of this matchup, who do you like? I don't even. What is the spread? Three and a half for the Titans. So it's pretty tight. Oh, tough. okay. Um, who do you got? I've got. The Titans covering that, and okay. it's it's a really tricky one for me because when I'm picking games, I always try to think about the psychology. And the Titans are coming off a win over the Eagles and over the Jaguars the week before, playing on the road, possibly due for a letdown. But they're also the type of team that you call it a lucky three and one, which I think is fair. It's it looks like a team that's gonna ham fist their way to the playoffs, <laughs> uh, like oh, they're just gonna ugly their way there and this may be a game that they lose i could definitely see the bills winning this game i don't think the titans are so good especially with marcus Mariota banged up blaine gabbert is healthy though waiting in the wings to save the day as he always is um am i gonna need to like <laughs> get security I, i'm gonna get some to keep you in the press box we could on always Sunday? we could always uh grab him after the game and have him on the show are you for, <laughs> you're gonna go to the titans locker room totally aren't you i don't think I'm not planning on it or I don't mean to telegraph my but I don't I'm not planning on it but they do play good defense and I think that's going to make this ugly for the Bills offense again and they're not going to be able to run the ball more than likely and I think the Titans are going to know what to do against the rookie quarterback they're well coached on defense with Dean Pease so I think when you look at all that it's hard to envision the Bills coming away with a win uh, but I do think it will be close because the one area of concern, though, is the fact that Raphael Bush and Micah Hyde have not practiced. Oh, yes. And which would leave uh, Saran Neal as a starting safety. I have a little uh, Bills beat like, scoopy for you all. Um, in watching practice today, Saran Neal was not working with the defense. It was Dean Marlowe, which means a move might be because coming. Because he's a practice squad guy. Yes, he's a and practice squad guy. the whole week I've been wondering exactly what they'll do because I wasn't convinced that they would – hand Saran Neal the keys to being a full-time safety because that could get ugly. I do believe if the move would probably be to call Dean Marlowe up if uh, Raphael Bush can't play, which it would appear right now it's not looking great, um, and probably to get rid of a lineman. My guess would be Ike Butker. Um, that just because they just added Dante Johnson, they just added um, Jordan Phillips, I, they have 10 offensive linemen, and you know I, Butker has been cut. Uh, and they might back they might be able time. to sneak him on the practice squad at this point. So um, so that that that's might be a some... that's a sore spot I think for the defense. And yeah. So yeah, definitely. We'll see. I think it could be an ugly game, um, and I think it's one where the Titans do have more talent, and so I'm going to pick the more talented team until the lesser of the two teams proves otherwise, uh, and more so than just that one game against the uh, against the Vikings. So I'll I'll go. Titans 
20, Bills 10. I think there is going to be a uh, an importance placed upon throwing the ball over the middle because I do think the Titans are weak over the middle of the field in, in pass coverage. The run defense is really good. Jarrell Casey is a monster up front, and he should be treated as such. And, and then... Uh, the one concern when you're throwing the ball is Harold Landry coming off the edge because he's looking every part of the way that he did in Boston College, at Boston College, I should say, uh, when he was underdrafted. I think he went in the second round. but uh, So that's definitely someone to keep an eye on uh, from a uh, Bills perspective and keeping uh, him out of the backfield. But I do think Josh Allen, after not really looking over the middle of the field, is going to have that part of his game plan really pushed forward by Brian Dable. And whether it be with the tight ends or Kelvin Benjamin over the middle of the field, they do tend to play a lot of zone. To, so, And there are some weaknesses there. I mean, Wesley Woodyard um, has not, did not practice on Wednesday. Uh, they would have, let's see, uh, who would they have out there? Rashawn Evans, who has not looked good so far. And... Um, Jayon Brown, I believe his name is, and he hasn't really looked the part so far this year. So I think there are some opportunities there. And I think this defense, the Bills defense, is good enough to stifle a, a, a I guess, beat up Mariota a little bit. And the running game really hasn't brought it at all. I don't know. I think this is, as you pointed out, the psychology behind it, I think this is classic letdown territory for the Tennessee Titans after you know jumping off to a really good start behind a rookie coach. I think the rookie coach probably le- learned something by this. I'm taking the Bills to win flat out. They're at home. It's one of their. It's only their second home game. They looked flat at home the last time around. Sean McDermott is really going to be banging that drum to got to w- defend your defend dirt, the dirt, defend the dirt. Your- carcinogenic pellets so i i'm i'm taking the bills and i don't i think this will probably be one of their lone victories the rest of the way for them but i do think we're going to see a bounce back effort from both the running game uh or at least trying to establish the running game and throwing the ball over the middle with and throwing with anticipation more which seems like it's been kind of a focal point for the receivers and, and the quarterback so far in practice all right so that uh just for the record, Joe also had them covering the spread last week and Whatever. was terribly wrong. He also had them winning in week one. I, I did. Right. I did. Because so, I not did. a great start to the year. Still getting your sea legs. Under Yo, underneath. I'm two and two, okay? <laughs> I'm two and two. Um, so we both got week two wrong. Yeah, we badly. did. Yeah. Yeah, we did. That, that, that. <laughs> or, no, week three, rather. Week three. Yeah, week three. We yeah. Were, I think everybody got that wrong. Yeah. So, um, but, you know. I, I do think this is not as uh, good of a Titans team as as they as their record might indicate. So that's why I'm going with the Bills. All right, so uh, that'll do it for us. The next time we talk will be after the game uh, at New Era Field, and we'll have plenty more to discuss in terms of Josh Allen, what they did at the wide receiver position, since this is how this whole conversation opened up today, and uh, if the defense continues to take strides forward in uh, being able to I guess, be the unit that they hoped they would be. Also, whether or not the defense will be able to bottle up Blaine Gabbert. Find out that on Sunday evening. I'm going to take my notebook and slap Matthew Fairburn across. No, I won't. He loves Blaine, and this is a special time of year for him. So we we all understand it, and we all live with it. All right, so for Blaine Gabbert Fairburn, 
My name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you all for listening to this week's edition of The Bills Beat, and we will talk to you on Sunday. See ya.